Welcome to the Harvest Sound Podcast, for music and mission, truth and prophecy, creativity and compassion merge as one. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here this morning, and uh, glad I'm here. And we're gonna we're gonna bring it the best way we know how. Hey, so who remembers we started a bit of a series last week? Uh, who remembers what it, the topic was? Brokenness. So we're coming at you with part two. Part two of brokenness. Now, just to review quickly uh, from last week, the primary thing we, we touched on was actually the story of Job and, um, and just seeing how, although he was considered righteous, uh, superiorly righteous above all his peers in his, in his day by the Lord himself, there was still something that needed to be adjusted in him. There was still a measure of brokenness that was revealed through his loss, through, his, through the crushing of what he went through, the circumstances. And, um, and so we see that he really, after a while, it's, well, at first it seems unfair. It's like, come on, God, this is too much for one guy to bear. I mean, this seems like you're picking on him in a sense. And, but after a while, you start seeing, wait a sec, as he got squeezed, things started to come out of him that wasn't so pretty. There was actually some pride, some arrogance, some things, some self-righteousness that was exposed. And you can, we won't go all into that, but I, I highly recommend, if you didn't get last uh, part one of brokenness, check it out, because it's really a profound journey through Job's story that most people miss, most I've uh, never seen that perspective when the Lord began to start showing that to me about Job's story. I've heard many messages on Job, but not where you actually really get in there and go after the things that God was going after. And you see the result finally where he was ready to be blessed and promoted even to another whole level, like 10 times where he was. So who would would, uh, like to be positioned for such a thing, to be blessed 10 times where you are? Well, I think that it doesn't just happen. It's not just happenstance. It's not just random. God looks for a certain quality in his people. And, and that sets us up for where he wants to take us. And there's things that we can do as we respond to the Lord um, that, that really uh, please the Lord. And he delights in it. And he's like, wow, uh, now you can consider my son and my daughter. He can lift you up to a place of, of impact and prominence and uh, authority, like whatever your destiny is, but God wants to lift up his sons and daughters. Does that make sense? Okay, so we'll get into that. Let me find my part two here. Okay. Uh, Corey, do you mind just turning down that thing one, one notch? It's humming back there pretty good. Okay, so... Where did my part two start? Here it is. Okay, let's let's start with the the reading of God's word. So we'll we'll start with the passage that was our text uh, last week. And someone said they they uh, they appreciated. Yeah, please stand. We're going to read God's word. Um, they appreciated whoever was doing the the PowerPoint last week left it up the whole time, and they, they said someone was saying they enjoyed reading it about ten times over. So maybe, maybe we'll pick one of these and leave it up again. 
Seeing that I don't have a full PowerPoint presentation for you, but hey, all it takes is one scripture. If I can get one scripture in you, it's enough to change you forever. Amen? So let's start with this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You want to read it again? Okay, here we go. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. By the way, that word contrite uh, speaks of repentance. Okay, turning back to the Lord. Uh, and, um, and so let's read the next passage. I think you'd have it there. These are the words of Jesus. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Okay, please be seated. So we're going to get into this. We're talking about brokenness, part two, coming at you. And um, I think when you take a, a topic like this at first, it's a little offensive. It's like, are you kidding me, brokenness? I mean, can we, something a little more upbeat or encouraging? But, you know, there's something that God's ways are not our ways. And a lot of times you got to go through his ways, you know, that, that, that uh, straight and narrow path, that, that little gate that, that hardly anyone gets through, you know, uh, to get into the grand expanse of all his blessings, his eternal blessings. And so uh, even the very fact, he says, to carry the cross, that we're to those who will follow him, those who are his disciples will deny themselves and carry a cross. It's kind of offensive, isn't it, to our flesh? Like, ooh, ouch. I mean, it, it, and, and yet... The beauty and the power and the resurrection life that comes out of such a thing is, is uh, beyond words, really. We're going we're gonna to enjoy uh, eternity out of the, the disciplines and, the, and the, the, the hardships that we went through here in this life. They're producing a greater glory. Even the sufferings, the broken things, is producing a, a glory that can't even compare to what we're going through. But when you're going through it, it hurts. When you're going through it, it's like, man, I don't even know if I can take it anymore. You ever been there? You ever been to a place where you're like, God, hello. <laughs> I don't know if you can put any more on me, you know, like what they call the straw that broke the camel's back. You're like, one more straw and I'm gone, <laughs> you know. And here's, here's the thing that actually he wants to bring you to a breaking point. You might say, whoa, wait a second, whoa, 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 preacher. You know, all my life I heard that he won't give me more than I can handle. Well, that talks about temptation. But I'm under the impression there's a lot of passages, especially from Apostle Paul, where he talks about the things he went through, he, he couldn't take anymore. It was beyond, I mean, they, I'll read you some passages in a little bit when we get there. But there's, where it brings you to a, a breaking place, but let me suggest this to you. Well, that breaking place is your breakthrough place. And it's, unless you get broken, unless you, you, you come through that place, a lot of times people are adverting it and avoiding it and trying everything but the brokenness that God desires for us. And therefore they wonder, man, why is my breakthrough so delayed? Like, what, what's taking so long? And I really believe that there's, there's something about embracing the cross, em, embracing suffering, uh, embracing sacrifice, yeah, all those words. We've got some stinging words this morning. Uh, but there's a beauty, there's a fragrance in it. 
that uh, is, is pleasing to the Lord, and there's no other way to get to the, I, I believe, the most profound, most blessed parts of the kingdom than going through this narrow path, going through a place of brokenness. Um, because sometimes it, God will, here's, here's one, one way you can know that I believe that God is busy working you over. Remember, he disciplines those he loves. It's out of love. It's like there's no way out. You're like, you're, you're trying to get out of it. Like, I got, you know, I just, it's the last thing I want to go through. Remember, we talked about Job. He said, the one thing I feared came upon me, you know? And, and so there's, it's, it's where God chases you down. He's after a man and a woman. And, and, and just like we talked about uh, the horses that, you know, like a great stallion uh, has to be broken in if it's going to be useful to the master. Now that, that stallion, it, it don't mind, you know, having food and water, a nice bale of hay, some water. Hey, so storm comes, put on the shelter. Hey, we're saying, hey, come on, bring it on. That stallion never complains about any of that. Come on, bring it all day long. Come on, bring me some more water, nice place to run, you know, uh, put me under the shelter. We like all that, don't we? But when it comes time for the master to ride you, uh-oh, that's a whole, and then all of a sudden that stallion starts kicking up a storm. Uh-uh. I mean, I like the food. I like to even bring that all day long. But there's a whole different level when God says, now I'm coming for you and your purpose and your destiny. And, and I want to use you as a masterpiece in my storyline. I, 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 I want you to be uh, useful to me. I want you to be mature and not lacking anything. And I, and I want you to be able to, when I nudge you to the right, you nudge, you respond. When I nudge you to the left, he, the master has got his, um, he's got his way with you, really. You might say, well, I don't know about that, you know. But well, bottom line is, he's master or he's not. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? And so if we come to that place. We don't like that in our kind of independent, Americanized version of Christianity. Like, well, I like my independence and I like, I like my freedom and all. And there's a measure of freedom that's profound and beautiful and it's for freedom that Christ set us free. I'm totally for freedom. However, it's a freedom to obey. It's the perfect law that gives liberty. And so we've been loosed from the bondage of addiction and sin and, and, and all that, that life of sin, that old man. We've been loosed for that for the purpose of obeying the master so he can ride us into the destiny and the purpose that he created us for. Does this make sense? And so... How do we get there? Well, there's a breaking of our will. Uh-huh. Is anyone ever been there where, but, but Lord, I want this, but I want that, but I, remember we, we talked, how many times did, did Job say, me, my, I, 333 times in his own defense. And so that's human nature. That's a picture of human nature, even religious human nature, righteous human nature, self-righteous. Sometimes it's the toughest one to crucify, the Pharisee spirit. Okay? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the wannabes. So I like to call them because they were, they were striving to be something, to be important in front of people, but they were going about it the wrong way. And Jesus warned them. Okay, so let's, let's dive into this. So part two, here we go. Ultimately, here's, watch this. Ultimately, we will all surrender to God. The question is, uh, will we do it willingly? 
And you think about it. Every knee, there'll come a day. Every knee, every tongue will confess and surrender and give homage to the Lord, pay him honor. The question is, are we going to go there willingly or unwillingly? And I want to suggest to you that to surrender in this life voluntarily out of love and passion is the life that's truly life. To say, Lord, <laughs> I didn't make myself. I didn't dream up myself. I didn't start this thing. I have a creator and I bow in, in, in honor towards the Lord and say, God, what did you think of when you created me? What were you dreaming? What's the purpose? I want to fulfill that. I want to partner with you. I want to join with you. Woo, come on, someone. And so ultimately, we're all going to surrender. It's just a matter of some will do it willingly, and some at the end of the age, when they finally are at that place bowing their knee, when all who have ever, every knee that was ever created, every tongue that was ever created, will pay homage to the king of the kings. Amen? And so first point here, actually continuing on from the time before, but for today, um, brokenness makes us small. Now, that sounds kind of counterculture, like everything is big in America, right? I mean, you come, you talk to many of our friends from Europe, they come here, they go, they can't believe, big, big, everything's big, you know, everything's big and bigger in Texas, you know, it's just that whole thing of bigger is better, and yet there's something about the kingdom, about smallness. Precious things are usually small, okay? Even like if you think of just in, in nature, yeah, the, the, the sweetest music comes from the smallest birds. Okay, if you ever think about it, um, it's only the small birds that sing. You, you'll never hear a note all of your life from an eagle. They soar, they look good, we, we like them, you know, but you're never going to hear nothing from that eagle. You know, you're never going to hear a turkey sing. You're not going to hear an ostrich sing. Okay, but the, the canary, the lark... The metal lark, I mean, the sounds that come out of these little birds. And I feel like the Lord is saying, it's a, it's a picture unto us that we, we have to be small in our own estimate, um, estimation of ourselves, okay? Not, not down on ourselves, but not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And there's a sound, there's a song, there's a sweetness that will come from our lives if we can get that right. Does this make sense? And so we'll just jump into some scriptures here. Um, we're talking in, uh, from Leviticus chapter 16, 12, where it's talking about the fragrant incense that was prescribed by the Lord in, in great detail. We don't have time to go into all, you can do a whole, I've done a whole message on this, every spice and what it all means and all that stuff. We'd do that another time, maybe. But this is talking about, he says, take two handfuls of the spices that was prescribed for the fragrant incense and he says, he says to finely ground them. And actually, in the King James, I like the way it says, to be finely ground, it means to be beaten small. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. I don't want to be beaten small. But, it, but they had to be crushed. They had to be taken to a place um, where they're useful for the incense. And he says, then to put the fire before the, lo the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the uh, uh, conceal the atonement cover above the testimony. And so just a quick glimpse into that for a second, that we have to be beaten small. And because we're, most of us will not choose it on our own. We have to be disciplined. I certainly had to be. I think of my life and I was like, man, the many, many times God has been faithful to discipline me, to confine me when I needed to be, 
to, you know, to, to, to rebuke me at times. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. I'd be, I'd be like a wild horse. I mean, think of who you'd be if we didn't have the word of the Lord to give us guidelines and boundaries and, and, and the disciplining of the Lord and where, where he, he pursues us onto holiness. He wants to make us something. Amen? And so as we touched on earlier, what Jesus says, some of these passages we're just going to touch on them, keep going because I got a lot. But just kind of be alert. You can write them down. This is Luke 20, 18. We read it. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces. But on he whom the, it falls, the stone falls, will be crushed. So again, we can volunteer and, we, and the result is brokenness. Or we can resist and there's a, even a greater measure of <laughs> disintegration crushed. Does this make sense? And I believe some people go through way too much discipline and crushing than God ever intended for them because they're just obstinate, stubborn, stiff-necked. Are you kidding me? We're doing this again? We're doing another lap around the mountain? I mean, a whole generation died because they wouldn't listen to the Lord, kept grumbling, complaining. They didn't get it. How many humans, how many of us don't get it? We're hitting our head against the wall time again. Let me guess. You're going to do that again? You know, we got, we got knuckleheads. We know we got all these bumps on our head. And, and God wants to deliver us of that, where we're sensitive to his spirit. Where when the, the nudge of his spirit comes, when the master's hand is on us, we, 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 we calm down. We're like, I hear you, Lord. I'm responding. I'm not just going to run wild. Okay? So God comes to crush the self-promotion, the independence, the self-reliance. And ultimately, the, I believe that the greatest sin in the Bible, uh, that the Lord hates is pride. You know, the pride, the arrogance that would say, I'll just, I'll just have my own way. And I, I just believe that the Lord, uh, he refines us. That, speaking of that refining, and he beats us small till he can say, okay, now you're in a place where I can use you. Does this make sense? And so he, he uh, uproots the independence, the self-reliance, and the pride of life that we can walk in so that we can be useful to him. Now, let's take a look at what God thinks of brokenness. Let's take a moment, and uh, we'll go to Isaiah 66, verse 1. Isaiah 66, verse 1. This is Father God. And it says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you can build for me? And where is a place that I may rest. So this is the Lord saying, hey, I built the heavens. Uh, it's my throne. The earth is my footstool. I'm looking for a place to rest. I'm looking for a house. It says, for my hands have made all things. Thus all things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one, I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, who trembles at my word. So he's saying, He's in the same consideration of, I made everything, I created it all, I'm looking for a place to rest, and he says, I'm going to look to this one, to the one who is humble, of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word, who takes me serious. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Another translation say, he's attracted to, he's captivated by the one of a, a humble and broken spirit who will actually obey him, will take him serious. And, and I believe he can, he can rest. Holy Spirit dwells in us, right? And a person like that, he's at rest. He's like, 
oh, finally a safe place for me, for, for the maker of heavens and earth. He's saying, where can I go? Where Someone find me a home. He goes, I'll tell you, I'll look to the one who's humble, contrite, and trembles at my word. Isn't that amazing? Let's keep going here. Um, Isaiah 57, 15, 57, 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. Hey, when you're the Lord, when you're the most high, you can call yourself the high and lofty one because <laughs> you is. <laughs> okay? Uh, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also, watch this. Here it is again. Watch this pattern. I live in a high and holy place. And where else does he live? The only other place that really tells us, he says, also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The high lofty one, he lives in mangers and stables and humble places and humble people. Is this making sense? It's profound if you think about it. That's where the Lord finds a home. That's where he, he's comfortable. That's where he can rest. And he says, I'm not just there to take up space. He's there, I'm there to revive the spirit of the lowly. I'm there to encourage that heart. I'm here to revive the heart of the contrite, the repentant, the broken. And breathe that resurrection life into us, no matter what our circumstances are. So this breaking process, this brokenness we're talking of, it produces humility. Brokenness produces humility. A freedom from arrogance that grows out of the recognition that all we have and are comes from God. For who wants freedom from arrogance, independence? This humility is one of the most profound uh, elements of the kingdom that you can find on earth. That the Lord is attracted to humility. Um, and we can go on and we see that um, Jesus himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Matthew eleven twenty nine, his description of his own character, self-description that fell from the, the lips of the Lord himself is, is uh, he says this, he says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So out of all, he, he could have said, I'm a miracle worker. I'm a wonder worker. I'm a way maker. I'm a, he could have said all, all kinds of stuff, right? But his own description of himself, the two virtues that he highlighted was gentleness and humility. And other translation in, in um, King James says meek and lowly. Now, I believe there's such a secret to that, of that, that, um, that place of humility and lowliness. It's not, it's not lowly like woe is me. It's, it's actually a place of accuracy, seeing yourself as you really are. It's a place of truth. Humility is truth. So many times we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. The devil wants to inflate us with that pride, that arrogance, and independence. Or he wants to beat us down. And when the, I'm telling you, the beating of the devil is totally different than the discipline of the Lord. Where, he wants to, where we just wallow in self-pity and, and lack of confidence and just, I mean, and, and there's, a, there's a pit on either side of that truth. You can fall into one, the pride... Over, um, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to or we can kind of go to a place of woe is me and I remember one of my favorite quotes from um, Oswald Chambers he says that self-pity is satanic 
And if you just trace where it goes, if once you can start, where does self-pity usually take you? If you follow it long enough, I mean, you're in a place of, why don't you just take your life? Why don't you just commit suicide and get out of here? You're no good. There's no hope for you. So we have to throw that stuff off as quick as it comes. And we say, it is written. And we fight with the promises of God. And we, we come out of those places that take us nowhere quick. So looking at the word meek, listen to this. This is interesting. We don't think of this often. But it says, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. How many people know that if you're on planet Earth, you're going to endure some injury? You're going to go through some tough things with patience. See, if we're, if we're not a haughty spirit, impatient, I want what I want, when I want it, I want it now. If we're not just like that, we begin to be tempered in our countenance and our, we, we start to go, you know what? I can go through some suffering. I can go through some disappointment with patience and I can extract the resentment out of this equation, out of my heart. Because so many times we, we resent even God. God, you've done me wrong. I'm your servant here. I'm trying to help you out. You're supposed to be helping me out. How many times do we wrestle with God in, in our very th- thoughts? And, like, and we start to, we can, we can get sour on God. But the Lord told me something about humility a long time ago. And I was saying, what is this humility? It's just such a fragrance, such a key to the kingdom, access to all of the kingdom. And I was asking the Lord, and he said, he said this is how the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day. and never left me because I felt it was literally the voice of the Lord. He said, humility is when you have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. You're okay. You're good. You just said, and I literally calm my spirit down sometimes when I I'm, I'm, might be going to some place to speak, a conference or this or that, or something that might stir me up a little bit, and, I'm, and there's all these big names floating around and stuff. He goes, man. You got nothing to prove. You got nothing to lose. Just represent. Just be at rest. Just, you know, does this make sense? And, and, and we can calm ourselves down like that and realize, man, God exalts the humble. It's God who does the exalting. Whenever we try to, to self, you know, pull ourselves up from our bootstraps. You ever try doing that? This doesn't work too well, right? You know, that's, that's how futile our efforts are when we try to promote ourselves. It has to come from the Lord. But the Lord highlights this gentle spirit, this humility, this patience, and even submissive. The Lord was submissive to the Father. I mean, to the point where he only did what he saw the Father doing. He spoke what the Father was speaking. I mean, you would think at some point he's like, wait a second, I'm, you know, I'm the son of God. You know, I can take over here if I want for a moment here too. You know? But he took this submissive role, leaving us an example that we should follow. He took on human form. And he submitted to the Heavenly Father, showing us how it's done. So let's talk for a moment. The Lord reminded me of this because I was looking up this, this gentle spirit, like trying to get a hold of it. And First uh, Peter 3.3 3 says, uh, speaking to the, this is uh, Peter speaking to the women, okay? He says, your adornment should not be an external one braiding of hair, wearing gold jewelry, or dressing in fine clothes, but rather the hidden character of the heart expressed in the imperishable beauty of a gentle and calm disposition, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, we don't, that's not one you're going to see hanging on the refrigerators too much. 
You know, and I don't, I don't, I really don't believe at all. Um, Apostle or Peter here is talking about he's against, you know, nice hair and jewelry and beautiful clothing and all this stuff. I mean, I'm certainly not. I mean, I think it's just part of. I mean, I think Daniel or someone recently just said, uh, said, said when when, mom, when Mama gets ready, she says it's like artwork when Mama's getting ready, you know, <laughs> you know, it's. Like, and, and, and it is. It's like there's something wonderful about the outward adornment. You know, just work with what you have and beautify. And, you know, but we can, that can become idolatry as well, though. Everyone knows that, right? Can really become, especially in our culture, can, total idolatry. But what, what, God, what God is highlighting here, he says, let me tell you where the real beauty is. Let me see, tell you how I see it from God's perspective. The hidden character of the heart expressed in uh, imperishable beauty, the inner self he says, that's where I find the true tre- treasure in a woman. And, and, and he, he describes it in, in a gentle and calm disposition, quiet, peaceful spirit. And I, I, wanted to, I just want to say something to you, that I believe, you know, the, the Lord has these different roles for men and women, you know, and, and, and how he says in a, in a family, a man is to, to be the head. And there's something about you, you know, you lead the way, you, you have vision, you're you're strong, you're a protector, you're, 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 the head goes first, right? And so even when we're, when we're born, if you're born the normal way, uh, you know, the, the head comes first and leads the way. However, I believe that for this inner beauty that the Lord speaks of, this quiet and peaceful spirit, this calm disposition is the strength of a woman. That's really the ultimate strength. Like, like when you see a woman who's like, like all hell could be breaking out and she's not flipping out. I remember, I'm like going, whoa, what got into her? There's, a, there's strength. There's a, there's a beauty. There's when, when you can be calm when the storms. And, and, and I believe there's something there that we need to look at in today's modern world where everyone's just doing what the world does, even many times in the church. And, uh, and not just dismiss this going, well, how dare you talk about my jewelry or my lipstick or my, you know, it's like, but, but literally look into this. What is the Lord saying? This, this uh, character of the heart, the hidden character of the heart, this quiet, when, if it's a gentle and calm disposition, that means in the, in the, in a, uh, an atmosphere where there's a contrast to that, where everything else is, is, is kind of tripping out and, and there's a, a ability to, to, to freak out or to get fearful, or over-controlling, or any of these type of things. And I feel like the Lord is saying, this is inner strength. This is inner beauty from the Lord's perspective. Okay, okay. (laughs) That one got quiet. We got got some people thinking up in here. All right. How about, and all the men say, I'm just kidding. All (laughs) All right. It's funny how interesting when I'm when I'm preaching and bringing the word, like when things get real quiet, I'm like, "Wow, there's a lot going on right now." All right, let's take a look at this. So Jesus said, um, Matthew five verse three says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, and also blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth." So again, staying on this this concept where he said the the blessing, and and we're gonna save that for another time, but but um, but there's something about being poor, being meek, even being needy that the Lord wants to bless, recognizing our neediness, okay? Um, and the, the broken people, I've seen this, I've seen it in my own life when I'm in a place of humility and brokenness, when I'm in a good place with the Lord, 
uh, and not just obstinate in my own way or off track. Uh, they have the ability to focus on God and others better than when we're not. Does that make sense? We have the ability to focus on others, to not only look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. Okay, we're gonna, we have to take care of our own responsibility. But there's something about when, uh, as Jesus humbled himself in obedience even onto the cross, it says that we're to follow that example and that we have the ability, the capacity to think about others and not just our own interests, self-interests. That's what brokenness gives us access to that. It's not just me and mine anymore. It's like, oh, we wake up. God, what would you have today? Oh, what are the people around me? What is the needs of my family, the needs of my spouse? We have an ability to enter into others. Because here's the reality. Brokenness brings us to a place of, that we realize, as, as King David said in the Psalms, apart from him, I can do nothing. So there's a dependence that comes. When we really grab hold, I think it's one of the most powerful scriptures. When we really come to that place where we're convinced, apart from him, I can do nothing. Apart from him, I have no good thing. When we are convinced of that, then we're not going to just run out independently every day. Just, whoa, just go do stuff in our own strength. Does this make sense? And so when we come to that conclusion that he is the centerpiece, in him I live and move and have my being, and, and anything of the flesh is, accounts for nothing, but the Spirit gives life. Okay? Um, so true humility, I'm kind of going back and forth on humility and, and, and brokenness and meekness, kind of a collage of those three things right now. But it says true humility is not to think too low of oneself, but to think rightly and truthfully of yourself. Now you think of the prodigal son when he was totally off track, independent, rebellious, prideful, out in the world, squandering his inheritance. It says when he came back to his senses, the truth started coming back. And he started to think straight. And he said, you know, it'd be better if I was in my father's house than all this. And so there's something about when, we, when our senses come back, we begin to think right. We think truthfully about ourselves and where we fit in life. It brings us back to the Father. You know, Mother Teresa said, God never calls us to be successful, but faithful. And that is where a lot of us get off. We think we have to be all that. And, and the Lord says, no, I've just called you to be faithful. Leave the rest to me. Well done, my good and successful servant. No, he didn't say that. Well done, my good and faithful. That means some might be hidden on earth. Are you okay with that? What if God tucked you away and you're hidden and you did, you did the work of the Lord faithfully in a hidden place, but you had the pleasure of the Lord on your life and you fulfilled your purpose in your generation? Are you okay with that? Do you, or do we have to be the one up on the stage? Do we have to have, you know, and so we have to crucify that spirit that says success looks like this. Therefore, I want this and nothing less. I believe some of the greatest saints in heaven, when we get there, are going to be hidden people that prayed and sacrificed and did stuff that were like, what? Like, why are they sitting close to Jesus? What did they do? Wow. They were Anna in the house of the Lord, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they fasted, and they stayed faithful to the Lord. It wasn't about the accolades of man. The first will be last. The last will be first. So humility is perfect quietness of heart. When we're in a, have you ever gone to that place? That, and I believe that the way we go there is through brokenness. If our ego's still raging, 
we can't come to that quietness of heart. And so it's, it's the process is the breaking. Now I'm going to touch on this next one and then we'll save the rest for part three, okay? Um, so brokenness. Breaking precedes breakthrough. I touched on that. Now you think of, I, I was reminded of, you know, remember Gideon? The, uh, he was just such an unlikely character and he's chosen. He's the, of the least of his tribe, the least tribe, and he's in hiding and he's in, he's, he's in fear and the enemy had ravaged the land and, he's, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and, and brings a prophetic word, God's going to use you, you know, mighty warrior and all this stuff. I won't get into the whole story, I don't have time. But p- part of the strategy where he, he takes on the mantle that God has given him for his life, unlikely character from, he- from earth's perspective, from heaven's perspective, he's like, I designed him for that. It don't matter what tribe you're from, don't matter. God can use anyone who's willing to say yes, that's who he works with. It's not what caste system you're part of or where you fit on the status of society, man. He, can, he loves to, to raise people up from nothing, from the dust, and all of a sudden, boom. Where did they come from? They came from the presence of the Lord, just like the, the disciples. The only thing they could figure out is they, they had been with Jesus. They weren't in the universities. They didn't have the, the, the accolades. They didn't have the, the Grammy hanging on their shelf. They were just been with Jesus, and it was enough to turn the world upside down. And so, uh, back to Gideon. Sorry, I got into that. <laughs> so part of the strategy is there's these jar, jar, uh, clay jars. And they put a fire, put a candle in it, and blow the trumpet and crash, smash the jars. And all of a sudden, there's the light. There's the fire. And I believe it's a picture of our lives. Like, without that brokenness, and, and the enemy looked up, and all of a sudden, they're surrounded by fire. It looked like a camp all on the ridge, all over the valley. They probably thought there was just hordes ready to come down on them. And all it was was a homeboy with his little clay jar and his trumpet. You know, three, 300 of them against 30,000 or whatever, 300,000, whatever it was. But um, unbelievable. But God can do that with just a few broken vessels. But if we're not broken, the, the, no one, the enemy never sees your fire. It's hidden. He doesn't see the light that was destined to, to uh, shine from your existence. And so the enemy turns on themselves. So this, this uh, breakthrough that we all long for. I remember one time we were on a retreat with Bill Johnson, and he was talking um, just different stories of their ministry and his life and... and uh, one of, the, one of the things that struck me the most, I think one of our pastors here, we had the, the GO team had a retreat years ago in Montana, and, um, and he was sharing stories, and someone asked him a question, like, what's the most important, like, what would you say, how do you get where you see such fruit and growth and multiplication and maybe city impact or national impact, the things that they've been able to experience? And, uh, and he said, when you, when you see... The break when you see that breakthrough, I forget how he said it. He goes, when you see that opportunity for breakthrough, go for it with all your heart. When you see that crack starting to happen, he goes, don't. He goes, he goes. One time I, I waited, I waited, and I told the Holy Spirit, I'll never do it again. I'll never. If I ever see you open up a door for me again of, of access to the kingdom and Holy Spirit, and uh, you know, he goes, man. He goes, and I told the Lord after the first time I missed it, and I knew I grieved the Spirit. He said, if I ever see that crack again, we're going in. 
And I'm telling you guys, there's, God wants us to go in. He wants us to have access of impact. And, uh, but I believe that it comes through brokenness because why would God want to promote you or me if we're not ready? Why would he want to uh, strengthen you just for you to neglect him or reject him or ignore him or think you did it all? When it all goes, starts going to your head and go, they weren't ready at all. And now they're just making a mess of my name and my kingdom. And so the brokenness precedes the breakthrough. Does this make sense? Yeah. And we might go, well, but brokenness stings. It hurts. It's not my favorite topic. I'm telling you, in the kingdom, it's access point. It sets you up where God's saying, now I can use my son, my daughter. Watch this. They'll be faithful all the way through. And I mentioned about Apostle Paul. Um, you, you, the passage that we, we talked about earlier about uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. We know that, right? Because it, it encourages us, like, okay. Uh, but then we read other portions from the same book. Um, sorry, I didn't write the chapter down, but let me just read to you here. This is Apostle Paul. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So basically saying, we're as good as dead. We're, we're done. Like we're toast, above and beyond what we could bear. And, and he said, but this happened to make a, a transaction where when God begins to promote him again, because there were still many miracles and many books he had to write and all this stuff, that he wouldn't be relying on himself, but he'd rely on God in a new measure. So we go through things that sometimes are heartbreaking, crushing, disappointing, uncomfortable things. And he says, um, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So you're at a place of Who's ever been that near-death experience? Maybe not your physical body, but everything else is just decimated. You're just like, I don't even know how I can go on. Right at that place is your breakthrough. Right where you got nothing left. I'm telling you, look up. Your deliverance is right there. That's where deliverance is. It's through, through many tribulations, hardships, that we enter the kingdom. So when you're going through a hardship that's unbearable, you think, you need to be looking. For, where's the access point? Where's the door? Where's the breaker? It's here. I know it is. Because I can't go anywhere unless God shows me the door. I'm done. And that's okay because right there is when that resurrection surge will come into your life. Right at that moment. Right when the devil's saying, just give up and die, like Job's wife. Curse God and die. You're done. No, Job's like, no. Something in him kept going, kept wrestling. Even if you have to wrestle with God until you got a limp, you know. At least you walk away with a blessing. You might have a limp, but you got a new name and a blessing. Never trust a man without a limp. He's not broken yet. All right. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He, watch this. I love this. Verse 10. He has delivered us from such deadly peril. He will deliver us. And on him, we set our hope that he will continue to deliver us 
as you help us with your prayers. So basically, he has delivered us. Who Think of your life, your history. Has he delivered you? And, and think of the present day. Is he delivering you? And we set your hope on the fact that he will continue to deliver you all the days of your life. And that's how you can be resurrected time and time again, even when you feel broken, when you feel it's just too much, I can't go on. And that, that right at that place is where the breakthrough is. How many people are looking for breakthrough here t- this morning? In, a, in an area of your life where you're just, I am. I think I always am. I'm always like, there's got to be more. I mean, there, there's a godly satisfaction, contentment that we, we need to uh, embrace. And, but, there, but, but, but never like settle. Never just settle and go, well, okay, I'm, I've arrived. No, you haven't. <laughs> you know? Is this making sense? And so I believe that right at this place, and I think some of you have been going through, I think there's a breaking point that even America's coming to. Our nation, what we're going through, it's, it's, it's not just blaming it all on the devil. No, God is working. He's trying to revive his church. He's trying to bring us to that place where we feel like there's nothing but a, a sentence of death hanging over us. And he says, right at that place, something shifted and we stopped relying on ourselves. Hello. And we began to rely on God. And then who raises the dead? Then comes that resurrection life, that surge of the American church designed the way God wanted us to be from the first place. We've had decades to wake up and we haven't. Now there's a shaking. Now there's, there, there's, a, there's a despair. Now there's a concern of getting our attention. Remember 911? Everyone went to church for about a month or two. Then we just kind of went back to life as normal and gradually pushing God out of every sphere of society. The church being fairly content with that, not much of a voice even resisting such things. Where was the outcry when they took prayer out of the schools? Do you think we were a little distracted? Maybe. I don't remember much outcry. Thank you, Jesus. So I believe that this morning we can take another, some of you guys were here for part one, and we can go even deeper now. You know, like the seed, they got to get that husk off to get the good stuff on the inside. Like a watermelon, all the good stuff's on the inside. We can be hard on the outside, but God wants to access the inner man, the inner countenance. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. I remember one time the Lord was uh, bringing me to an access point of breakthrough. And, and it was really kind of the catalyst that started a, a, at least a decade, probably more, 15 years of international ministry. When we had really stayed, by God's grace, stayed faithful right here in this community. And it had been about seven years. And we were just hunkered down in the inner city. And it was powerful. We were seeing God do miraculous stuff right here. It was amazing. But I had told the Lord, I'd gotten out, out of the music business and, and I, I'd been in a band traveling all around the world. And that was great, but it wasn't great because there was just some, so much chaotic stuff and man-made stuff all in the name of Jesus. And I was like, Lord, I'm done. I went in, I quit the band. <laughs> and, and, I said, I'm, and I told the Lord, I'm never traveling again unless it's Holy Spirit. I don't ever want to go anywhere. I'm done. I already seen enough of the world. I don't need to see any more. I just had a, I had a bad taste in my mouth because it was being done in a, a manipulative way, in a way that 
just, I'm like, I'm just not going to do that. So I kind of made this little vow. I'm not traveling ever again unless I know that I know it's Holy Spirit. So God ends up from the American inner city, if you can imagine, sends us to Switzerland. Total opposite. <laughs> and we, all of a sudden we're in Switzerland, this pristine, everything's perfect. Everything's on time. Everything's just, a, just a, you know, the Alps and chocolate and cows and milk and, you know, creme de la creme, you know, all this. It's just like, what is happening, you know? And uh, so all of a sudden we're in this, this other world and God gives me a download and then it ends up, I, I share this with some of the apostolic leaders. It gives me, ended up becoming a book, Prophetic Word for the Nation. And I end up writing it by God's grace. I wrote it. And, and they receive it as a word for their nation about their history, where they're at, where God wants to take them. And then they call again and they say, hey, would you come and speak on this national Swiss day? It's going to be 7,000 people in this tent. We want you to come and the, the Levi camp. And we want you to be the main speaker on National Swiss Day. I'm like this Canadian boy lost in the American hood. Like, I'm thinking, you got the right guy? I mean, I mean, you know, but I knew the Lord had spoke to me. He gave me a download, and I was faithful with just putting that together. But I remember getting on the plane thinking, this is the weirdest thing, traveling all by myself. And, you know, recent years, we take a whole tribe with us. But I used to travel all by myself at first, just me and Holy Spirit. Okay, God, here we go, <laughs> you know. And what nation are we going to now, you know? And, uh, um, and I said, Lord, how do you bring a word to a nation? How do, what is that? Like, like what, is, what is happening to my life? I mean, it was a breakthrough point. It was a promotion point. But here's what the Lord told me. He said, he brought me to, I opened my Bible. You know how you do the little Bible flip, you know, flop, the Bible flop, <laughs> you know. And I literally, Ephesians 4, 2, it says, be completely humble and gentle. That's, that's what he, and he said, that's how you do it. Be completely humble and gentle. And so by God's grace, we were able to deliver this word. It was beyond my imagination what happened. It started a whole journey. We've been to, I don't know, Switzerland 12 times or more. I don't even know. All these nations began to open up, Germany and all around there in different places. And, but here's the thing. I, was, I told the Lord, I said, I don't even know how to be com- completely humble me. <laughs> Help <laughs> But I've, I'm telling you guys, as we put on that cloak of humility daily, that, and it comes from a place of brokenness, but we really understand it's not about me. It's not about my gifts, my ambitions, my, my, me, me, my, my has to die, carry the cross. And when we come at it from that perspective, there's such a, a purity. There's a, God's looking for purity in his servants. And that brokenness produces purity where we're no longer the stench of pride. One last picture and we're going to end. I think we have communion this morning, which is wonderful with a message like this. I think I've shared this before, but it's worth repeating. When I was in my 30s, I had this vision. I think it might have had to do with, I can't remember back that far, but might have had to do with, with me, like something that was God was getting at. Probably was. But I remember the vision was this. I saw this putrid creature, like the ugliest, hideous, most hideous thing I'd ever seen. And it was, I could even, looking at it in the spirit, I could see, I could, there was, a, there was an odor, there was a smell that was like unbearable. I was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no more. 
I remember looking at it going, this is unreal. Like, this is the most nasty thing I've ever seen. And I, was, and I was like, Lord, what is this? He said, it's the spirit of pride. I was like, oh, I can see why you resist it. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He tears down the, the haughty spirit. Tears it down. Destruction. But he exalts the humble. And then I said, well, Lord, what is the opposite? He says humility, spirit of humility. And I saw this most translucent, beautiful, angelic spirit that was just totally heavenly, just belonged in heaven. It was just, and I remember looking at that going, and the fragrance was overwhelming, just like, woo, wow, what a difference. And either of us can walk, any of us can walk in a spirit of pride or in a spirit of humility in any given day. But that brokenness, it sets you in a place where you got the limp. You've paid something. You got the scars to prove it. It came with a price. And you're not going to easily just slip back into a haughty spirit or an arrogant spirit, independent spirit. Does this make sense? Where God brands you. <laughs> and you're like, man, apart from him, I can do nothing. It's really true. It's really true. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for another measure, Lord, of brokenness and humility and gentleness that leads us to breakthrough, Lord, where you can feel secure, feel confident to take us to the next level, to promote us, to give us more authority, to open doors that no man can shut. And Lord, even if you never opened another door, Lord, we just want to be like Jesus. Just want to be like Jesus. Learn, learning from our Savior, the perfect man, the sinless man, the Lamb of God, was humble and gentle, meek and lowly. Thank you, God. Transform us, God. Let's just take a moment and have a contrite heart, spirit of repentance. If the Holy Spirit convicts you, which he does so well, of an area that he's trying to reform, trying to transform in your life, just let's come before the Lord in this time of communion with clean hands and pure hearts. You could be washed right now. The spirit of repentance and